0: Welcome to Coffee and Change, a podcast where we talk about change in our lives, our work, and our world, and how we're managing it. Welcome back. On episode 49, I interview Kirk Miller, a self-described ambivert, empath, power listener, and learner. Kirk is the Vice President of Global Clients at the Aerial Group. Aerial Group develops powerful and authentic communication skills to drive better performance for leaders and teams. In our discussion, I talk with Kirk about the recent changes that he's gone through as a result of the pandemic and one of his most recent articles he shared on LinkedIn. Enjoy the discussion.
1: I'm Kirk Miller. I am uh, uh, super glad to be here having some coffee and enjoying this conversation. I am the vice president of global clients at Ariel. Ariel is all about executive presence and communications. And uh, I joined them recently in August. Prior to that, I spent time working with Second City, with LinkedIn, Vodafone and a litany of other technology companies, always in sales. And I hail from Green Bay, Wisconsin, and I can't wait to have this conversation with you, Bill. Awesome, didn't Green Bay
0: have a pretty good night the other day or something? I was just on some client (laughs) client calls and they were saying something about Green Bay having some good
1: news. (laughs) Go Packers, Thursday night football against the 49ers. They really showed up. Uh, Aaron Rodgers was a beast. Well, congratulations! I still can't get over the um, what is it?
0: State Farm commercials uh, mm-hmm. that he's in. Uh, the most recent one where he goes to throw the ball for the dog, and it just goes like <laughs> way out there. Yeah, and the dog sits down and it's like, and nope, I'm not playing fun. fetch. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, well, I appreciate you joining, Kirk, for the discussion. Um, For those that don't know some of the work you had mentioned briefly, you had done previously at Second City, people might know that those two words put together, but Mm -hmm. can you explain why they might know Second City in what realm and a little bit of the work uh, that you did with them and then we can jump into some of the stuff um, that you're doing now?
1: Yeah, Second City is uh, known for being the developer of comedic talent in um, modern America. They've been around for 60 years. Uh, Started as a small theater and then grew into a training center empire and a business corporate um, training empire as well. So, the work that I was doing was bringing Second City facilitators and performers in to train people in the same skills that improvisers use to kind of make stories up out of nothing, to pivot, to be agile, to be flexible, to be fun to listen very actively all those skills that make for those people that you encounter in the workplace that you're like oh there's something really i like about that person and i don't know what it is so it's a bit of the x factor uh and so second city's been doing that part of that business for about i want to say 20 years Mm -hmm. and uh and so i was there for three and a half years and enjoyed that time very very much Yeah, and I think it's interesting, um,
0: given, you know, the importance of communications, and especially now, which we'll talk about sort of in this remote world, it is interesting to think, I I know, when we first chatted, uh, I had mentioned, a couple of my fellow consultants recently had taken improv classes, Mm -hmm. and it gave them direct skill set that they applied in their communications with clients in their writing, in their relating, It's just fascinating to see where certain people who might be introverts um, or or having to show up in an extrovert world. And there's a term that you use in your LinkedIn profile. I believe it's ambivert. Can you talk about that a little bit? Because I've never seen that before.
1: So, you know, most people who know me would think I'm an extrovert. Mm -hmm. Um, that is true to a certain point, but in order for me to be that extroverted, I need my own time to actually recharge and settle in. And, um, in that respect, I need some introversion time. So I, I'm an interesting in between. And I think a lot of people are, um, where you actually are both introverted in the sense of needing alone time, but extroverted when you get your time to shine and be social.
0: Absolutely, I can totally relate. I mean, being in the the world of consulting, there's a lot of work that we have to do where we show up and Mm -hmm. we perform and you hold a room and you carry the anxieties of people or the worries or guide them through something. And I I can definitely relate because it would be those times in a pre-pandemic world where I would, you know, get on the plane, go home, and then you you you, you kind of, you're exhausted, right? You mm-hmm. have to recharge in a way. And I used to say to people after doing these big uh, workshops and sessions, which I'm, I know you're very familiar with having led those as well, mm-hmm. that people would have that sense of like, hey, so do we have the notes yet? And I'd say to them, no, <laughs> like, you don't understand how this works. Like, yeah. you go and you hold a workshop that lasts the better part of a day, and I need like two days to recover from that. <laughs> you know, it doesn't mean that I'm not doing any work. It's just that right. I'm reflecting and right. collecting and aligning and, and analyzing so that the product that comes out of it is that much better. But you're right. It requires a lot of downtime, um, a lot of restorative time. And it's interesting to see how people are doing that in a remote world. Have you noticed a change for yourself since pivoting into this pandemic, mm-hmm. work from home,
1: work remote um, way of working? I've never been more organized in my entire life. Um, really? My, my every closet is clean. <laughs> Trips to the container store to just make everything perfect. Yep. I've decluttered. Marie Kondo would be so proud of me. Uh, I, I I feel like I'm not getting the social part. Which right. is so usually that organizational part and that alone time and downtime is absent. Mm-hmm. Now I have that in spades, but I don't have any social or or low social time. I'm still lucky enough to, you know, work somewhere where we have daily huddles. We, we meet. We are social. We just you know had a farewell to a client a uh, uh, um, coworker who moved on to bigger and better things. And that was social and that was fun. Get to try out some jokes, have a little good time, but there's not enough of that anymore. And I miss going to theater and miss that social time. Parties, I love to host parties. It's non-existent now. So I've noticed a big change there.
0: Yeah, I know that um, where, you're, where you're at in Chicago, obviously there's a big theater Um community, in a big arts community. I've got some family that are stage actors in Chicago, and it's been really, really challenging for a lot of people in that community. Um, have, how are they doing in, in the sense of, have you
1: talked to people and how they're, yeah. how they're dealing with this change? Yeah. So it's, it, it's not good. Um, many of them are really struggling with adapting to finding new ways of providing for their families um, many of them are breaking away from you know their their old companies, people that they were working with, or they've been furloughed. They've been you know forced into finding something new. Talk to a lot of them through what the transferable skills would be, what mm-hmm. what opportunities might be out there. Um, last week I was fortunate enough to help to connect a few people and I found out that they actually got jobs that I put them forward with. So that's one of my favorite things in the world. Yeah. Uh, and I love also like giving back to these people who, especially the talent that I used to work with, they're mm-hmm. not working now and I'm trying to help them find a way forward. And, and so for an actor or performer, There are companies now like Yaymaker and others who actually will um, help with virtual events, Mm -hmm. uh, provide you with a host for your virtual event, provide you with games, social activities, things like that. And that's kind of for an improviser. That's a really good um, approach right now for stage actors. I think it's a lot harder. One of my best friends is an actress in L.A. And she, you know, there was no filming. She does Mm -hmm. commercials, national commercials, sitcoms and all of those things. So that's been her biggest challenge because it's almost the only people filming were already in progress. Like nobody's really starting new shows or new Mm -hmm. campaigns. It's hard. Yeah. And, you know,
0: speaking of giving back, I mean, you you talked about how important it is for you to connect people in your network. I would love to talk a little bit about something that jumped out to me, which was a LinkedIn article you wrote based on your own experience. Um, It was published on September 3rd. It was called A New Alliance. Don't fight it. Ignite it. Um, There's a lot I would love to talk about in -hmm. that that article because it jumped out to me. It was very, very powerfully written. Um, and it, and it moved me. So I would love for you to talk a little bit about that article and how it came about. And then there's a couple quotes and things I would love to dig in, um, a little further.
1: Yeah. So, uh, I was furloughed at the end of July and did not see it coming because I was producing, I was performing my job. Well, I was bringing in revenue, all of that good stuff that one would expect from a salesperson. And, um, So the the premise of it and how it it came about me writing an article was my mentor who guided me through the process, as always, uh, but based on the past work that I've done with my mentor, she basically helped me establish a template for being ready for these type of situations. Uh, She held me accountable, all of that stuff. She's like, Kirk, at the end of all of this, when you land, you need to help and other people because your experience has been exceptional and I've watched you navigate this and you did so well, you need to share that. So that's what kind of prompted me to uh, write the article and is really just kind of the whole premise is it can happen to anybody. Mm -hmm. And if it does happen, there's absolutely no shame in it. We're in a global pandemic. You're in good company with millions of other people. Um, which is a bit different uh, pre-pandemic when people would try to not let anybody know or, you know, show the strong face, only tell their inner circle, not tell their network on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. And um, I think some of those things do us all a great disservice because how many times if something happened, and you tell the story to someone in your network and they're like, you should have told me because we have these opportunities or Mm -hmm. we could have helped. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was really interesting
0: the way you wrote um, in the article. um, And I'll quote here, I broke taboo myths of the 20th century. I enthusiastically announced the furlough on all social channels, including LinkedIn and immediately outlined a plan to communicate what I was looking for in my next role. I knew this would be hard and it would take more time than usual. So I broke all the norms." Can you expound on that a little bit? Cause that really jumped off the page to me.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it's kind of like, you have to let it go. Um, whatever like happened. Like the song I'm, in Frozen. <laughs> it's just like the song in Frozen. I am gonna a little sp- Adina Menzel. <laughs> let it go. I am gonna spare you from uh, listening to me sing. I'm way too rusty to go there. Um, But it all really does start with letting go and then putting the focus on what's next. Um, Because, you know, trying to linger and figure out what happened and why and all of that other stuff, um, you can live in the sadness for a while. You can ask yourself those questions, but right away you have to realize, like, I am going to need employment. I'm going to need to provide for my retirement, for my family, for my friends, um, so I'm not going to be able to do that if I'm I'm stuck in woe is me and I'm stuck with um, what happened or you know talking to everybody and bad mouthing and you know that doesn't really accomplish anything. Um, you have to live with the sadness for a while, um, but you know to be perfectly blunt, you you also have to separate for a while. So I was furloughed at one o'clock in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. By 115, the call was over. By one like 116 or 17, I grabbed my other laptop, plugged it into my docking station, and began to search and tell people what happened and really start that process. And I can't tell you how amazing it was to reconnect with people who fortunately I already connected with them. There was a trusting relationship. We stayed in touch over the years and they could not have been more gracious with the um, asking and offering up opportunities to introduce me to someone else, to talk me through what they think I should do or could do. Uh, and it was just a really kind of a, despite the sadness of being furloughed, it was, it was kind of a positive experience, um, to reconnect with people.
0: Yeah, I think it's really powerful. One of the things that, that, that stood out to me in, in your writing of this article is you can tell that you wrote it for the next person, right? You wrote it less about, Hey, I need to, um, clear this for me, although that's part of what it was, but you really wrote it to them, meaning mm-hmm. the next person who, who might experience a furlough or might experience a layoff. Um, and what it what it meant to you, but also so that they they ha- are not suffering in confusion, and this right. is how I, how I interpret it. And one of the things I, I thought was really interesting, you talked about ditch wrong thinking about the past. Mm-hmm. You wrote out your frustrations, you read them aloud, then you threw them away with all the bad feelings. Associated. Right. You know, this It reminds me a little bit of um, sort of like a burning ceremony, right? Yeah. You write things down on a piece of paper. <laughs> you say, okay, you throw it in the fire and, and you sort of release it. What yeah. was that like to, to kind of go through that experience? Because there's, there's a lot of emotion oh, yeah. in what you're talking about.
1: It, I felt like it did start with the burn book. It was very visceral. (laughs) It was very, very negative, very much a kind of like a reflection of all the bad Mm -hmm. without an accounting for all the good that also came about from the last tour of duty, as I call every job that I have, I consider it a tour of duty. It comes from Reed Hoffman, uh, if you haven't read The Alliance, you absolutely should. And that's kind of homage. The title great of my book. article is homage yeah. to um, the book, The Alliance. And I learned so much from um, Second City. One of the things I learned was, uh, which is interesting, I learned it from, you know, uh, Kelly Leonard, who does a podcast called Yes And. Great guy. And, uh, you know, talks to Simon Sinek and Brene Browns and all of that. He has podcast. And, um, one of the things he taught me was to replace, uh, blame with curiosity. And so as opposed to, uh, you know, standard blame is like, oh, it's someone else. Oh, it's because of this person or that person and all of that. Uh, whereas, um, it's not, it's about the circumstances and, and if it is personal, would you want to stay there anyway? Uh, so it really was a question for me of I knew I couldn't move forward until I got rid of any kind of remnants of super negative uh, energy or feelings and all of that. So by burn book, I mean, I actually kind of practice like a conversation I would have if that person were that piece of paper that I wrote it on mm-hmm. and I would have that conversation or monologue and tell them how I felt. And then I would be like, you don't have any control over me. And I would rip it up and throw it away. So I didn't Mm -hmm. burn it. I didn't, um, you know, but I wanted to release that energy because I feel it's so important. And I've seen too many people kind of fall in love with the companies that they work for. I'm guilty of that. Fall in love with their clients, the brands, the associations that you have. And just know that the brands and the companies that you love can't love you back the building can't love you back. It is the people, the people that you were collaborating with who can and should, if you are, you know, a person of integrity and character and a person, person, like a people person. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was really for me, that exercise was so important to just be like, okay, that's done. And I'm moving on to my next chapter And let's, let's focus more on that and how I'm going to kill it and do a great job as opposed to what happened.
0: Yeah. I think it's interesting when you talk about making room for the next play. And as you, as you alluded to, and I can totally relate to this. Um, I went through a similar experience in a layoff, um, you know, about, uh, five, almost six years ago.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And, when you said like you just grabbed the other laptop, you put it and you started, you know, there's that urgency that someone has to get to work right away. Um, At the same time, I've talked to a number of people who've been impacted in this economy um, around layoffs or furloughs. And a number of people that I'm advising or just kind of mentoring, I'm telling them, you know, if you can take this time for yourself Mm -hmm. to to really kind of look inward and and recharge or go be in nature so so I wonder when you when you went through your process, if you could share, what's that balance of that that immediacy and urgency of mm-hmm. flip open the other laptop, let's mm-hmm. get to work on LinkedIn? Yeah. Versus, hey, does Kirk need to take some time for Kirk? Does, yeah. does, does he need to reach out to family and friends or go be in nature? And and what was that balance like for you?
1: So for me, it was a bit of a bifurcation. It was about one, I wanted people to know I was furloughed. Mm-hmm. Because I know that when you put that message out that you need help, people want to help you, and they will come with ideas, uh, referrals, opportunities, and um, but at the same time, I I wanted to get that out there immediately. So my my advice is always just move fast on that. Mm-hmm. Don't be like, oh, but if I put it on my LinkedIn, I'm going to get less money in my negotiation. I mean, they'll, they'll likely find out. If they do a check and they call your previous employer, they'll find out. And if you didn't say anything about being furloughed, your credibility is going to be non-existent or at least questioned. And that's not a good way to start things out. So my my advice is just make sure people know that you are looking um, and, and do that in a natural way, like a reconnection. Uh, I wanted to do it at scale because I'm in sales. I recognize Mm -hmm. like if I open up five conversations, only one of them will go somewhere. Uh, Sometimes, sometimes more if you're really lucky, but you know, open those conversations quickly, but it was summer. It was Chicago. Yeah. Um, People were outside. (laughs) People were outside despite the pandemic, but wearing masks and doing smart things, socially distancing. So I would go to Lincoln park here in Chicago with a lawn chair that I didn't even know I had until I started cleaning out my closet <laughs> because Marie I'm a Tonto. city person. I'm a city person. Why would I have a lawn chair, a foldable lawn chair that my mother would give me? Like, I, I don't even know why I kept it, but I did. And I found it. And um, a few of my furloughed counterparts would go to Lincoln Park and, you know, have a glass of wine and enjoy that that camaraderie and that time and talk through what had happened, and and also the good things that were going on in each of our lives. Like, um, you know, one of my colleagues, she's so happy. She finally found love kind of for the second time in her life. And it's just beautiful to see. And, you know, another colleague um, taking a complete, um, you know, career path, a, a career path that's very different than the one that she was in prior and and so that was to me that was also motivating to see like how they were coping with it. Um, yes, we gossiped. Yes, we talked about what happened. but that's again, I think that's an important part of the process. But yeah, getting outside, um, clearing your mind, um, and then just, you know, you you should have a personal executive committee of friends and peers and coaches and mentors, and you should be gathering them and asking them for specific things to help you with, um, because the more specific you are with your ask, the more they'll be able to actually help you.
0: Yeah, and I know there were a few a few things that you had talked about, whether it be picking up an old book or watching a TED talk, reaching out to an old colleague. Um, what were some of the things that you did that sort of surprised you? Like, was you had mentioned maybe you know dusting off um, the Book Alliance or <laughs> yeah, yeah. reaching out to some uh, people in the Rolodex, so to speak? Yeah. What were some of the things that surprised you in that process, either by giving you energy or a door that you thought was closed that opened? Mm-hmm. Uh, given the fact that we're all going through this collectively it's a pretty it's a pretty unifying experience
1: the the biggest thing that surprised me is how willing people are to help you when you need that so asking i asked former clients for who their favorite vendors were that they were collaborating with in the learning and development space and they were extremely candid more candid than they ever would have been Right. If I were trying to sell them something, you know, from Second City or elsewhere. Uh, and that, to me, I learned so much from them in those conversations, like what they really care about, why they do business with certain clients and what they love about, you know, other other angles and focuses and lenses that um, companies have. And so for me, and they introduced me, they introduced me to their account managers and their people and some of those companies were hiring. I think within the first week, I had four calls set up, uh, ready to, you know, talk about who I am, what my skills are and what I'm interested in and see if there's a fit, uh, with these people. I met great people that, you know, we didn't, we didn't, you know, a couple of them didn't have opportunities. A couple of them did, but, you know, I'm talking to Becky in HR. I'm not talking to the the hiring manager. And then, um, Luckily, because one of the one of the facilitators that I worked with had seen that I was looking for work, uh, and had sent me um, sent me a job opportunity. Um, Actually, um, it was around the time of when all of the furlough happened. It's kind of parked in my LinkedIn. I saw Mm -hmm. it, picked it up, actioned it, and uh, you know, the following week I had an interview. And where you ended up landing
0: um, by the end of the summer. I mean, if you think about the like your summer uh, trajectory is pretty fascinating mm-hmm. uh, because literally like the last day of August, I believe you said you started your new role at uh, yeah. the Ariel Group. Right. So can you talk about the Ariel Group, what they do, what that role is, and, and maybe yeah. what you've learned in the in the past couple months of being there?
1: Yeah, um, so Ariel Group was founded. Uh, the name of the company is based on Ariel from the Tempest. Two mm-hmm. actresses met and they were um, tapped by corporate, um, corporate learning people to um, bring their um, expertise in the area of presence and captivating uh, the audience and you know, being present. So basically the, the art of listening, being present and being a good storyteller. So they created this uh, affiliation of other actors and uh, improvisers, people from the performing arts. Uh, and they started the company. They got a few anchor clients who were very big. They went global. And so for 30 years now, they've been delivering um, presence. Really, the core of our offering is executive presence. Mm -hmm. Uh, It could be personal presence, your leadership presence. It could be um, how you present, how you collaborate, all of the stuff that makes for a good leader. And uh, along the way, they made some, um, you know, very strategic um, alliances uh, and acquisitions. And, you know, that includes writing now. So writing for business results, energizing your email, things of that nature. So really is the total package of your presence, not just being on a video call and doing a good job. It's more holistic. And Mm -hmm. so I really took to that. And what I've been floored with is the the comprehensive rigor and design of all of the content that we have? So there is digital pla- you know, a digital platform with great programs in the areas of storytelling and you know writing uh, for business, and and that writing for business, like I mean, talk about something that people don't put enough emphasis on. Right. People really don't. And what's kind of fun is I wrote that article um, right as I joined Ariel, and I took the writing class uh, mm-hmm. on the digital platform. And there are two tools that come, come with the writing class. And I actually put... The um, the piece through the writing program lens and the checklist of Mm -hmm. you know are the sentences shorter is is there no jargon is it segmented properly and it turned out to be one of the best pieces that I've written uh, on LinkedIn so practicing what I preach and and then the company has just been so generous with their training we actually went through all of the not all of the training because if you actually see what we do it's pretty vast. But um, many of the programs that are, uh, I would say the top programs, we've been through those trainings and they've helped immensely.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple of uh, nuggets in there that you share that I think are, that are really important. One is the power of storytelling. Um, and I think I think in the, the work that I get to see and do for, for so many clients, we, we notice that, one of the things that really captures people and takes them along a journey of transformation or adoption is the power of storytelling. Mm-hmm. And I think it's even more important now in the remote in the remote environment that we're in because, as we talked about earlier, the presence of someone in a room, be it on a, a performer on a stage or even in the capacity of where we do our work. We, mm-hmm. we essentially play performers in the work that we do. Be it in a conference room versus a stage and in a theater. But the without the story, you can't really hold people. And I'm finding that to be increasingly so in this remote world. So as you as you were talking with folks at the aerial group or even customers and clients, or even in your own experience, how do you f- how do you find people are doing with that aspect of trying to get all the components that make up good storytelling? limited to this kind of one-screen, two-screen, mm-hmm. two-dimensional world that we're stuck to right now.
1: Yeah, I think everyone's story has to change because the whole landscape has changed. So um, it's it's like the election rules, right? Every four years they change. And yeah, you have that, to know right what, now. what each, yeah, as we speak, uh, <laughs> And uh, you have to know what the, the rules are. So these people, uh, you know, all these companies spent so much time developing these great stories for the real world uh, pre-pandemic. And then here we are, you know, in month nine, I think, during month eight, eight or nine in uh, quarantine. And I think what needs to happen is um, the story has to go back to more universe, universality and be more foundational and now is a really good time to develop those building blocks and redevelop the building blocks that make for better storytellers. The best way to tell a story if it's live is to listen and to at least know who you're talking to or who, what group and what they care about and, and what's going to be the most impactful for them uh, as they listen to you. Otherwise, it's, it's not going to happen um and i think not enough people put enough attention up front about who am i talking to what do they care about what you know what are the skills that are going to make the story that i have to tell which could be amazingly compelling um more compelling and resonate with them because we tend to lead with data we tend to yeah. lead with facts and those things are definitely important and they they can be memorable But you can make them even more memorable if you can personalize it, if you can give an example, a case study, lead with a story. Um, You know, the best salespeople I I know because I love being sold to. It's one of the things I'm super, like, I know most people hate that. I love it because I'm learning from these people who are trying to sell me. And it's the people who um, tell me that they have a similar client or they've got, um, experience working with the similar, um, challenge or a product that I'm, I'm actually looking for. And this, they start to explain that I'm like, Oh yeah, that, yeah, hundred percent versus, you know, if, if someone's trying to sell me life insurance and they say 47% of people are, are not, uh, covered and their families are at risk. I will be like, okay, you don't know that I live alone. You, mm-hmm. you don't know that I don't have any dependents right. um, and that you should have probably led with you could create an annuity that would protect you for your retirement and you could take the cash out. And I had one person actually do that. And I bought from that person, mm-hmm. um, despite, you know, buying life insurance as a single person is like, why am I doing this? But then when, as they explained the benefits of after tax dollars and all these other things, I'm like, yes, okay. Let's talk about this. And And so I think the thing that that everyone could do better is really try to feel, you know, it's the empathy thing. Um, I love empathy. I think it's it's now being a little too um, mainstream, genericized, and it's a buzzword. Um, but empathy and action is compassion. Mm-hmm. And compassion is much stronger than empathy. But but if you're going to tell a story, if you're going to c- communicate anything, the more that you can use empathy or compassion, the stronger that will will take. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I love that word,
0: compassion, because I have to remind people, you know, in its origin, it means to suffer with. And if you don't understand the person that you're talking I'm to. I'm writing
1: that down. That's really cool.
0: It's It's tough to really relate to someone or say, you should trust me mm-hmm. if they haven't taken the time to get to know you and to see the world through, essentially, as you're saying, empathy is that important ingredient to see the world through, you know, your shoes, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And, and it also reminds me, you know, I, I, w- I was uh, talking with someone earlier this week and they reminded me the sort of core part of what people want is to be seen, heard and believed. And were you talking to Oprah? I was not talking to Oprah, but I so appreciate the fact <laughs> that you think I have that ability and that network. Uh, maybe someday. God, that would be a goal. Um it was actually just talking to a counselor, but you know, kind of the same thing, right? Yeah. We have we turned to Oprah for and we can't get in to see our counselor. <laughs> <laughs> um super sunday. Monday, yep. Exactly. I'm a huge fan of the of the podcast. Um, but I was reminded just that equation to be seen, to be heard and to believed is the probably the most important thing about any of the work that we do, and especially in the times that we're in right now. There's, to your point, around facts and mm-hmm. figures. There's also a lot of rhetoric out there. People being told, yeah, yeah, people being told, like, you know, that's not true. This is a this is a hoax. Whatever. And and even if you go down below all of the conspiracies and the anger and 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 what we're seeing displayed on such a national and global stage right now, at the heart of it, there's someone, there's a human being who wants to be seen, heard, and believed. Mm -hmm. And if, if I can approach any challenge that way, then the work, as you're describing, it kind of comes, it comes on its own. Mm -hmm. We can solution anything if we have that humanity and that respect and, and, and see it that everybody wants those, those three things. And that's where storytelling comes into play because that's a lot of where stories come from, I imagine.
1: Yeah. And it ties into, I mean, that's how people learn. It's the stickiest way if you're trying to transfer knowledge Mm -hmm. or, or information to people is a story. It's not a PowerPoint deck. It's not a white paper. Um, It's actually talking to people as if they're people in a very relatable fashion. And I think um, we need to do more of that. And the more, um, you know, storytelling, Now I think is all is even more about the connection and the relationship than it is about um, the product or the service. I mean, it really ties into customer experience, ties into um, so many different areas. And the better you can get at storytelling, the the more in any profession—marketing, sales, change management, user experience—like all of it. the more effective you can be. Yeah, I'm curious if
0: you saw, there was a report this week, I believe, I saw it on LinkedIn, we might've both seen it um, and come across it. The World Economic Forum posted uh, a report around the top skills that will be needed Mm -hmm. in 2025 and beyond. And it's so interesting, you probably picked up the same thing. The top of that list was things like the ability to do storytelling, the ability to have um, implications-based thinking, you know, to, to know the ability to say, if, if I do this, this will happen in a couple different variations and to have the curiosity Mm -hmm. and creativity to follow through on that. And what's fascinating about that, that report is some might regard those as soft skills, Mm -hmm. but it's saying 2025 and beyond, these are just as important, if not the most important, as a technical skill, a functional skill. Mm-hmm. Because of what we're seeing that's happening in organizations, the technology is actually being embedded into business. It's not It's not sort of an order taker anymore. There are people making decisions from the point of impact and from the point of of a story. Uh, how do you weave that story together to the results or to the benefit or to the value that you want? So I'm curious, as you if you looked at that report and, and your thoughts on that based on the work that you're doing now,
1: we as adults are forced to uh, put our creativity and our inner child and our instincts aside. And as a result of that, we're formed into the model that the organization or the school or whatever want us to believe creativity and Um, collaboration, and um, thinking outside the box, all of those things have suffered as a result of that. I think they will make a comeback as more and more jobs are automated, um, you know, AI and other things sort of take the accounting jobs and and a lot of the other functions that we're working on to make them easier. What's going to be more important now is who can steer the robots in the right direction and the technology in the right direction and ensure that it's a, um, a good experience. I think that's why all those areas, your area, change management is in such high demand. So um, I see them as core skills. I always got mad when I would hear people call them soft skills. It's like it, that one expression comes to mind right away. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. like that that is the connection it's almost like the old networking technologies you know are you there yes i'm there like the the ones and zeros it's like it's making a comeback it's like if you don't make that connection the data isn't going to be transmitted to the other side so the more that you can use your creativity and your listening and communication skills which is what ariel teaches um, the more that you can you can actually navigate that change and be ready, you know, be ready. The robots are coming. Everybody knows that. So how how can we be ready? We can be agile. We can keep our skills fresh. We can work more on our soft skills. And the one thing I'll I'll I'll, I'll guess I need to say is that professional athletes train, musicians practice, business professionals live in spreadsheets live in tools, and why aren't we practicing our skills that actually will help us connect with other people more? And that's what Ariel does. We really allow people that space, the activities, the, the I guess, the, it's really the space. It's providing a space to suspend judgment and practice and try on the skills that make for really, really exceptional leaders.
0: Yeah, I, I am very appreciative of that reminder that, we need to practice. Um, one of my favorite podcasts I listen to is um, Finding Mastery by Michael Gervais. And and he talks about, he talks a lot with Olympians. He talks with uh, people sort of top of their game, be it in business or in spiritual world or in the athletic world. And that concept of mastery, it only comes with a tremendous amount of practice. Um, And when people ask me, hey, what keeps you in consulting or what brought you to consulting? I usually like to give them the analogy of it's like a laboratory. Mm -hmm. Like every day I I walk into a laboratory and what I am expecting is to learn in that laboratory. There's going to be some experiments which don't go so well. And there's other ones that, you know, go really well. Um, But to your point, I'm practicing. Mm -hmm. I'm practicing my communication. I'm practicing my writing. I'm practicing my creativity. My problem solving. There's not many industries or organizations where you can get all of that. And that's part of the expectation every day is to come in, wake up uh, every day and say, I'm entering the laboratory of curiosity, of learning. And that's what's kept me really engaged in, in this work. And I encourage other people when they're looking for opportunities, if that's something that's really important to you, and I think it should be to many, but some people are just getting into that discovery because we're able to sit still and look inward for the first time in a long time. I encourage them, seek that out, Um, find opportunities that let you flex those skills because those are going to be the ones that pay off big time. As you said, the robots are coming um, and what's going to, Set someone apart is the ability to work in the the nuance, mm-hmm. to work in the space of context and ambiguity and uncertainty. Frankly, as we're all we're all kind of getting master's degrees in uncertainty yeah. Do we say VUCA yet? We mean it. We do mean VUCA. Um, yeah, there's a, a good a good friend of mine who's uh, actually hosting a two day um, sort of session of webinars on that concept of VUCA. Um, he's ex military. As well and it's it's a concept that i think those in sort of the planning corners of things like you know the military or even the pentagon they've been kicking that term around for a while but it's interesting to see how it's it's becoming something that's very real for people in terms of volatility the uncertainty um the complexity and the ambiguity and and how we work our way through that regardless of the way people approach it i think it calls even more so the importance of story and storytelling in that, because everybody's walk through all of those elements is going to be different, Mm -hmm. but what's your story in that? And as it goes back to what you were saying, which is how you set yourself apart for future opportunities requires you to have that story pieced together to, to be able to say it confidently and comfortably and things like the work that you do at the aerial group or the work that you had done at second city, it's all to help people, master those skills Mm -hmm. so that they can take whatever comes their way,
1: um, and find another opportunity. Yeah. I, I would say if you could teach a military veteran to improvise and embrace the tenets of improv, you have got yourself the perfect leader because they know how to plan and they know that when the plan doesn't work, they need to improvise. And I think that, you know, the more learning opportunities and development opportunities you can seek out for yourself and for your team and for your organization, that's the practice. That's the new ideas that will start to spark. Another book I really enjoyed was um, like 212, which is Fahrenheit. There's a book called 212, and it's all about the concept of most people are running at about 210, 211 in terms of their um, level of activity and the effort that they put forward. But if they put forth just a little bit more effort, they could be a steam engine and they could actually produce great results. And I think, like, military understand that that's that discipline. They got to execute to plan. There is no plan B. Well, pandemic, nobody had planned that. There was no plan B and, and we paid a very, very big price for that. Yeah, I absolutely agree.
0: And I think the, I mean, I, I, I will probably take that away that if you could find a veteran and teach them improv, you've got the perfect leader. It's, I I, I mean, mm-hmm. we, we train on that a lot in the military because it's that aspect of you, you've got the plan, mm-hmm. you've planned it out, And then we do a lot of that the minute you take your first step, like somebody throws in something at you that you didn't expect and you've got to pivot and you've got to react and you've got to respond. You've ultimately got to improvise
1: constantly. You have to be MacGyver.
0: Yes, right, pull out whatever you've got in your pocket knife and your rubber band and you you stitch it together. Um, And the whole time you're doing that, you actually don't lose your composition or your composure. And I think that's one of the, again, to go back to the work that you're doing with people, it's presence. Mm Uh, it's about being mindful. and you know whether you're commanding troops or leading a team
1: remotely, um all of that requires presence. Um, yeah so I appreciate And a that. lot of a lot of people are very confused what presence is, but really, and it's, you know, in a nutshell, it's being self-knowing. it's being authentic. It's being um in the moment and being present. And it's also reaching out to other people. We actually have a model that we we teach that that goes through those. But with those elements there, you, you've got what it takes. You've got the 80% of what it takes to be a great leader.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Last question for you before we wrap up. Um, if people wanted to find out more about you mm-hmm. and aerial group and the work that you're doing, where, where can they go? Where can they look up? Where can they find a, lot, a little bit more about you?
1: I would love to connect with folks on LinkedIn. So LinkedIn is the best way to find me, Kirk Miller uh you'll see me uh associated with the aerial group uh and then if you want to learn more about aerial you would go to www.aerialgroup.com awesome thank you and i did and there was one more
0: question i always i always ask people and i forget to ask Ooh. how do you how do you stay healthy and change oh
1: man uh so Probably an evolving answer, right? <laughs> it's interesting. So I went. So there's a lawn chair and a bottle of wine. Yeah, yeah, that's, just, yeah, well, no, that's not far off. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's funny. I was walking for, uh, to Walgreens to, you know, get get some of the necessary supplies that we need in this pandemic. And I'm walking down the street carrying a, a couple of bags and all of a sudden, you know, my jeans are starting to fall down a little bit. And I'm like, I am not going to the gym right now. I am what am I doing differently? So uh, it's almost that that two one two come, you know, going back to our two one two conversation, I cut out dairy and I started to make some, you know, just changes like that. Yeah. Uh, and and, you know, went to the doctor. Uh, last time I was there without virtual visits was in January. And I was down like nine pounds. I'm like, how is this happening? And I think a lot, I think some of it had to do with being much happier and in a really good space right now, despite the pandemic, which I know, unfortunately, isn't what other people are experiencing. But trust me, there's opportunity there. Go for it. And once you find it. uh, So the way I did that was just by making some small changes that made a bigger impact and learning I am, I am a learning addict, a junkie. So masterclass LinkedIn learning, uh, obviously aerial, I've got to say that. Um, and podcasts, you know, podcasts like yours and podcasts of, um, you know, Reed Hoffman's podcast is so brilliant. And, uh, that's the way I think I've stayed mentally healthy, a lot more breathing too. I feel like breathing is the, the, it's free and it can set you free, and make you think clear, and make you less panicky and anxious. So, that's yeah, kind of what I've done. I appreciate that. I remind people that the <clears throat> excuse me, the word
0: inspiration, you know, from its root literally means to breathe. Mm-hmm. So, when people seek inspiration, start by taking a deep breath in and a deep breath out, um, I just and you did be. It, it, it thank you. you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for your time. Yeah. Thank you, Bill. I really appreciate it. Yeah. And best of luck. Um, And I hope uh, people connect with you on the importance of all of those things that you're helping lead people through. So thanks again. And uh, I'm sure we'll chat in the future. Sounds great. Thanks, Bill.